You should have seen how fast those hands shot up when I asked that question. (laughs) There's uh, something about siblings that I think every last one of us can probably identify with. Unless you're an only child, I I don't know if there's any only uh, children here this morning, but I think most of us who have had a brother or sister or a few of them can know what that's like. One One of the advantages I have of getting to do the children's prayer every Sunday as well I don't necessarily always want to admit to this, is that I get a front row seat for the video, so. (laughs) That's always uh, something I enjoy. I also want to extend uh, a warm welcome to you here this morning who are guests and visitors. Um, It's great to have you here. We really want you to feel welcome and, and believe that this isn't our church. This is God's church, and anyone who wants to worship God is welcome here. And so we want to welcome you as we worship God together and as we hear from his word, because that's what we've gathered here for, is to praise him, worship him, and hear from him as well. So uh, we want to make sure that you feel welcome and uh, know that this environment sometimes uh, can get a little bit informal. My son will wander out during the course of the service. (laughs) But sometimes um, when we come before God, we come with everything that we have. We're not always perfect. Things don't always go quite according to plan. But God just wants our hearts. He doesn't want a perfect performance. He wants just everything that we have, everything that we bring to the table. So let's go to God's word now, and I would invite you to bow with me before we do that in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that as we come here this morning, um, whatever stage we're coming from in life, Lord, you know our hearts. Some of us here are coming with uh, some doubt. Some of us are coming from a place where we're struggling with our faith, wondering if you're really there, wondering if you can really help us. Uh, There's some of us, Lord, who are coming here this morning and um, wondering uh, how you're going to provide for our future. We have questions and we're we're worried. Uh, Lord, others of us are maybe dealing with relational issues or or just uh, some struggles with our own with our own minds and thoughts, Lord, uh, dealing with depression or anxiety. And Lord, all of these things are sometimes things that we learn to hide so well, and yet you know our heart. And Lord, so many of these things revolve around how we spend our time, how we spend our days. And you know how many days we have left, you know how much time we have left, and yet we don't. And so, Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through it, wherever we're at, speak to our situation. I ask that you would challenge us as well, and that we would have hearts ready to receive and to act accordingly. So bless this word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the screen door slammed shut behind Fred as he left the house and stepped out onto the porch overlooking his farm. The sun was just beginning to set, and overhead Fred could hear the honk of geese as they flew by overhead, heading south for the winter. The autumn air was crisp, but still just warm enough that he could go without a jacket. Fred paused to lean against the porch rail and breathe in that cool evening air. There was nothing more satisfying to Fred than that smell of that autumn air with just the slightest aroma of combine dust. Because to Fred, that was the smell of money. He looked on with inner satisfaction as one grain truck pulled away from the grain bins just as a second truck turned turned down the lane, brimming to the top with wheat. In fact, as the truck took the corner, Fred noticed a little bit of grain overflow the side of the truck box and spill onto the ground. 
Hey, that's coming off your paycheck, Fred called out, knowing full well that no one could hear him over the sound of the truck engines. Oh well, Fred thought to himself, there's plenty more where that came from. In fact, I don't even know where I'm going to put it all. We haven't even brought in half the harvest, and I'm already running out of bin space. As Fred began to mull over the options of how he would meet this logistical challenge, his mind began to reminisce about the past. Farming had been good to Fred. Sure, there had been some tough times in the early years when some poor crops had made things touch and go for a while. But with dogged hard work and perseverance, by hook or by crook, he had made it through and was now reaping the rewards. His farm operation was now bigger and better than he could have ever imagined. He was now respected as being the richest and largest landowner in the entire region, with more acres, machinery, and manpower at his disposal than anyone else, not to mention his formidable bank account. Of course, all of this had not been accomplished without its sacrifices along the way. His now adult children didn't want anything to do with him, except when it came time to ask for money, of course. Deep down, Fred knew that he hadn't made as much time for them as he should have when they were young. But... Times were tough, and if he didn't work a 15-hour day, seven days a week, no one else was going to do it for him. And after all, wasn't all the work he was doing for them anyways? He was just too busy. There was simply no free time to spend as a family, whether at home or elsewhere. Even his wife had sometimes hinted that they should go to church, but he had no time to waste on that God stuff either. If he was going to take a Sunday morning off, it was going to be to do something fun, like watch TV, go golfing, drive his boat, something relaxing other than sitting on a hard wooden pew. No, he didn't have time for that either. Besides, if there really was a God, wouldn't he see that Fred was deep down just a good guy who worked hard, provided for his family, and always did the best he could? Certainly, that should be good enough, shouldn't it? Hey, Fred. Fred was snapped out of his thoughts as a hired hand walked over. We're completely out of bin space. Every last one is full. Well, that's a good problem to have, Fred replied. So here's what we're going to do. For the time being, we'll pile all that grain up in the field over there, but then I'm going to get a crew to come in, and we're going to build a brand new row of 60,000 bushel grain bins. I think that should take care of it, don't you? Well, as the hired hand walked away, something clicked inside of Fred's mind. And just like that, he made a decision. He said to himself, It's about time that I begin making up for lost time. After this year's bumper crop, I have more than enough wealth stored away that I can retire, relax, and enjoy life for many, many years. You know, I'm going to travel the world, get to know my kids again, spend time with my grandkids, Yeah, we'll spend that time together that we missed out on, and I'll take them all on those holidays that we never had as when they were young. You know what? Maybe we'll even go to church. But even as the words came out of his mouth, Fred felt a tightening in his chest, followed by a sharp, stabbing pain. Staggering backwards off the rail, he slumped down onto the porch bench behind him. Clutching at his chest instinctively, Fred knew what was happening. His own father had died of a heart attack in his mid-fifties, and here he was, having one himself. 
His mind reeled in panic as the realization swept over him. He had waited too long. There was no time left for what was truly important. His time was up. He was going to meet his maker, and he knew he wasn't ready. You may have recognized this as a modern-day retelling of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there with me this morning. And once again, your iPhones or whatever it is that you look at the Word with. Turn there with me, and if you didn't bring your Bibles with you, this is church. Bring your Bible. Your teacher probably gave you a hard time in school when you forgot your textbook too, right? (laughs) All right, turn there with me. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. While you're turning there, I want to welcome you to this new series that we're beginning entitled, What Does the Bible Say About Everyday Life? What does the Bible say about life as we face it on an ongoing basis? Because if this doesn't apply to your life this week, what's the point? Why are we digging into this? I believe that this word applies to us not just on Sunday mornings, but Monday to Saturday. How does it apply to everyday life? And each week we're going to look at a new aspect of what the Bible has to say about everyday life. And this morning we're going to look at how it speaks to the issue of time. So we're going to uh, pick up this story in Luke chapter 12, beginning uh, the story in verse 13, so we get a little bit of the context. Beginning in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This is Jesus' teaching. And this morning, I want to continue along what Jesus is getting at. We're going to be speaking about the issues of time, and specifically, how it relates to how we spend it. Now, I don't want everyone to start looking at the clock already, but if you need to, take a look at it now. It's situated on the wall over there, because that's what we're going to be talking about. I promise I'll have you up by supper. (laughs) I mean, dinner. You can interpret that as you will. The fact is, when we look at a clock, that's a 12-hour clock, but if we had a a hospital clock in here, a 24-hour clock, that would be an accurate picture for us of what each and every one of us is given every single day. 24 hours. Not 23, not 25, 24. Every last one of us is given the exact same amount of time every single day. But for most of us, that just doesn't seem like enough time to get everything done that we want to do, does it? How many of you have ever said or heard the expression, there just aren't enough hours in the day? (laughs) 
We've all said things like that before. We're busy. Most of us are. In fact, a lot of us would say, I'm too busy. In a farming town like this one, we even have a special name for harvest this time of year. We call it what? Busy season. (laughs) At least my family does. Maybe yours doesn't, but that's what we call it. We call it busy season. In effect, what we are saying is that harvest is our first priority. If the combines can go, then everything else becomes secondary. Even if you're not a farmer, you can understand the principle that there are times when being at our job is so critical that we just have to be there or suffer the consequences. But now, what if busy season is no longer just a season, no longer just a short period of intense activity, But what if it's become an accurate description of our everyday lives? We're constantly running from one activity to the next. From home to work to school to the store, back home, eat lunch, on the go, to the rink, back home, to the field, back home, to church, to the restaurant. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Does that describe any of your weeks? (laughs) Feels that way sometimes. You you, You hit the pillow with your head at night and it's spinning so fast that it takes a while for it to wind down so you can actually fall asleep, even though you're exhausted. That might have described some of our lives. I know it describes mine from time to time. But what happens if we then continue to go along that speed of life on an annual, ongoing basis? Well, what happens, the first thing is, we begin to prioritize our activities. We realize that we simply can't do them all, so we prioritize, top to bottom, what has to be done, most essential to least essential. Now, you might just be barely treading water at work. you got a workload and your desk is stacked so high that you decide to try to catch up or keep up. You bring work home with you. You work on it all evening. But the result is you didn't have time for your kids that evening, and you'd made plans. But you had to catch up with work. And without realizing it, you've prioritized your work ahead of your family, ahead of your children. This happens so easily, we don't even think about it. How often, when we think about these sorts of scenarios, don't we do this with our families? Where we say they are our top priority, and yet how we allocate them our time would show otherwise. Or how many times, without realizing it, don't we do this with God? If we do it so easily with our family who we can see, how much more easily do we do do it with God who we can't see? How easy is it for us to just put him on the bottom of our priority list? Every time we choose work over worship, recreation over reading his word, pleasure over prayer, we are saying more with our time than our words ever could. How we use our time reveals what we truly prioritize in life. Now, let me be very clear with you this morning. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. What I am trying to do is simply get to the facts of our lives, our everyday life, the reality that we face, and not just the squeaky clean face that we try to put on in church when we put on nice clothes and come here and say, oh yeah, I'm reading my Bible and praying every day. How's that going, by the way? These are the sorts of things that actually reveal our priorities in life. Is a relationship with God a real priority, or is he getting bumped consistently to the bottom of the list? These are the things that affect our everyday life. Priorities, and specifically, how we spend our time. It reveals our priorities. 
So into this context, I want to ask you this question. Do you have an hour, one 60-minute period, to spare for God? Do you have an hour to spare? If God said, hey, you got an hour to spare? What would you say? He just shows up and says, can you give me 60 minutes? What's your response going to be? We're in church on Sunday morning, so I know what you're all going to say, right? Yes, sure, absolutely. That's what you're supposed to say, right? Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, I'm going to tell you that it's a trick question, actually. (laughs) Because if you say yes, if you say yes, God's going to ask you, oh, what about the other 23? See, this reveals something to us, doesn't it? God doesn't want one hour of your time. God doesn't want 60 minutes once in a while. No. God asks for our entire life. He doesn't ask if we could spare him some change once in a while. He wants it all. He wants 24 hours of the day, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year. That is what God is asking for. And so the question then has to be asked is, how is this possible? (laughs) Because it seems impossible. We have a hard enough time digging up a spare 60 minutes once in a while. What do we do with our entire lives? How can we actually accomplish this? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are two fundamental viewpoints of life that whether you realize it or not, you've embraced one of the two. I'm going to make it as clear-cut for us this morning as possible. There are two fundamental viewpoints of life that stand completely opposed to each other. The first one is the world's viewpoint. The world says this life is all that you can be sure of. So, because it's all that we can be absolutely certain of, live for the here and now. Live for the things that you can tangibly see and touch and own. Live for the enjoyment that you can feel right now in this moment today. Live for the here and now. Make as much money as you can. Enjoy as much pleasure as you can. Buy as many things and toys as you can. And live as long as you can if at all possible, as long as your health is still good, right? Live as long as you can. These are the priorities that the world sets for us. This is the world's view. And of course, I'm going to just throw this out there as a point of clarification. There is nothing wrong with making or using money. Jesus never said that there was. In and of itself, money is a tool. It provides things for us that we need for shelter and food for food for our families, God even acknowledges that I know that you need all of these things. So it's not making or using money that's the problem. The problem is that when making and using money is our main goal in life, then we are aiming at something that simply won't last. So when we embrace the world's view, we will spend our time accordingly. If we embrace the world's viewpoint of what's important is this life, we're going to live for this life. But now let's look at the second viewpoint, God's view. God says this life is temporary. Eternity lasts forever. So live with heaven as the goal. Put loving God and helping others ahead of your own personal pleasure. Use your money, your time, and your privileged position to help others. Because that is the only treasure that will truly last forever. And when we embrace God's viewpoint of life we will spend our time accordingly. These two worldviews are constantly at war with each other because they are in opposition. The one says live for now, the other says live for eternity. And they clash. And you know what? 
I would suspect that they are constantly clashing in most of us here this morning, because I know they clash in me. There is this war, this fight between what I want now in the, in the here, in, in the moment, the, the toys that I want, because I want toys too. I want to have fun. And yet there's a part of me that knows this isn't all there is. There is heaven. There is eternity to think about. Which one am I living for? And there's a war happening inside of me. Probably most of you are experiencing this battle as well. Let's examine the world's view from the perspective of Farmer Fred for just a moment. According to the world, Farmer Fred was a booming success. He was a happy man. He was a rich man. And he had enough wealth stored away for a great retirement. That is the essence of life for many people today, right? To be happy, successful, and able to retire rich, travel the world, have a big house, a yacht, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, motorbikes, RVs, whatever it is that you want to have, if you have the ability to buy it, that's what we call a successful life. That is the world standard. And because Fred exceeded at, or succeeded at this, the world would say what? The world would say he used the time that he was given wisely. The only problem is that it was all temporary. Who here has seen the bumper sticker, He Who Dies With The Most Toys Wins? Anyone seen that one? Who here has it on their vehicle? <laughs> Who here has seen the one that says, I'm spending my grandkids' inheritance? <laughs> or kids' inheritance. You know, we've seen those things and we kind of chuckle at them. But I want to ask, is He Who Dies With The Most Toys Wins... Is that actually true? And if so, it begs the question, what does he win? <laughs> really, what does he win? Is there a trophy? Is there a prize? Is there, is there something that he actually physically wins? Now suppose someone were to ask at Fred's funeral, and how much did he leave behind? The answer would be, everything. Everything. We simply can't take it with us. But we Canadians are a lot like Farmer Fred, aren't we? We want to have it all. We want to be able to, to buy what we want today and at the same time store up our wealth and possessions so that we can enjoy them when we're old. So we plan for the future, making investments in RRSPs, stocks, pensions, real estate, land. But if we only live according to the world's definition of using our time wisely... Maybe we should take a minute to truly consider what God says about that life and the way that time is spent. Listen to what he says to Farmer Fred. He says, you fool. Huh. Mincing words? No. <laughs> He's getting right to the heart of what God says about living that way. You fool. You see, what the world calls wise, God calls foolish. Jesus concludes the parable by saying this, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Of course, we all knew that already. And yet consider that in our consumer-driven Canadian culture, the two things that we spend the vast majority of our time pursuing are money and personal pleasure. Whether that's in the form of entertainment, sex, vacation time, sports, cars, trucks, boats, bigger houses, snowmobiles, etc. 
But if we spend the vast majority of our time on the things that we can't take with us, it begs the question, are we using the time that we have been given wisely? Let's examine that question from God's viewpoint and see what the Bible has to say about the subject of time. The first thing we learn from Scripture, if you turn with me uh, later on to Psalm chapter 90, you can start flipping there. But the first thing we learn is that time was created by God. You don't need to turn here, but Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be there to serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. That is where time began, and we have been measuring it ever since. It's why we have watches and clocks and calendars. We've been keeping track of time ever since God put it there for us to mark the signs and the years. Now, at its most fundamental level, time was created by God to be a continuous measurement of the passage of life on planet Earth. But as humans, there are really only two things that we can do with time. We can measure time, and we can spend time. That's it. We can't create time. We can't rewind time. We can't speed it up. We can't pause it. Only someone outside of time can do that. And the only one who exists outside of time is the one who invented it in the first place. Psalm chapter 90, verses 2 to 5, says this. If you've turned there, let's begin reading in verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up, by evening it's dry and withered. This is perhaps the most striking description of the differences between we who live within time and the God who lives outside of time. Think of it like watching a DVD on your TV. Okay? You have the remote control in your hand. We can all picture this, because we probably all had it in our hand this morning or last night, right? You've got the remote control in your hand. You can pause the movie whenever you want, and the person will freeze. You can come back and hit play, and they'll start moving again. You can even rewind the movie to an earlier point. You can fast-forward to skip ahead. Or you can just stop the movie and go do something else whenever you like. You can do all of that because you are outside of the movie. But can the characters within the movie do any of that? No. They're within the script. They're within the story. They can't control it. That is like the difference between us and God. We are at the mercy of the unrelenting march of time. But time is under God's control because he created it, and he is outside of time. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. It's the best way that I can think of understanding God's view of time versus our view of time. The second thing the Bible tells us about time is that it passes quickly. I realize that every Sunday morning. This is one of the places where it passes quickly for me and slow for you. But that's just the the nature of life. Psalm chapter 90 verse 10 says this about time. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. 
Who here is over 80 and can hardly believe it? Where did your life go? Does, does anyone feel that way who's over 80? I, I know there's someone here over 90. <laughs> Mrs. Harms. And wow, where did it all go, right? 90 years goes by like that. I'm 30, and I, I still sometimes feel like I'm 12. Seriously, and you probably agree. Yeah, he acts like he's 12 sometimes. <laughs> but that's the nature of time, and I find that the older I get, the faster it moves. Think about it this way. If you were de- uh, to be given a deposit of $86,400 every single day, it's a lot of money, right? $86,400 was put in your bank account with one condition. You have to spend the entire amount every single day. What you don't use during the day is gone forever. But you have to spend $86,400. Oh, I see eyes lighting up all over. Oh, boy. $86,000. What I couldn't do in a single day with that kind of coin. No forwarding balance. What you don't spend, you lose. You are given 86,400 seconds every single day. 24-hour period has 86,400 seconds. What you don't use, you can't send ahead and use it later on. It's gone forever. You can't store up a bank account of time. What we don't use, we lose. This is the amount of time that we're given every single day. How are we using it? If we would consider it foolish to squander and waste $86,400, wouldn't it be even more foolish to squander and waste 86,400 seconds when we can never make use of it ever again? From the world's viewpoint, people would say money is more important than time. But what if a doctor told you that you had one month left to live? Would you agree with that statement? Money is more important than time? Would that change your perspective? The fact is that though we all know that time passes quickly, and we know that we won't live forever, most of us don't want to think about it. And we'll say things like, oh, I'll have time to think about that when I'm older, later, down the road, on my deathbed. I'll figure things out then. Ancient philosopher Seneca said this, We are always complaining that our days are too few and acting as though there would be no end. Time passes quickly. A poem by an anonymous author says this, When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find while traveling on, time gone. Time passes quickly. The third thing the Bible tells us about time is that we don't know how much we have left. Jesus said this, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? He's primarily addressing worry, but he's using it in the context of time. Who of you by worrying has any control about the time of life that you have left? You can't add another hour to it. The time we are given is finite. It is not infinite. And none of us knows when our time will be up. You know, as young people, and as a young person myself, especially when I was back as a a teenager, I would just assume that I'm going to live to 90 or 100 at least, right? As a a kid, you often just assume you're going to live to 100. I don't know why that is, but we just do. 
But along the way, things start to happen, and we realize that not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. We can't add a single hour to our life. When our time is up, that's it. And whether from an act of violence, the onset of disease, sudden illness, or from an accident, lives are cut short every single day. Many of us have experienced the shock and pain of the sudden loss of someone we love. In some cases, someone very young. Because of this, it is the most painful and tragic reminder that we can't just assume that we have lots of time left to get to the important things later. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, in light of this, So teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? It means we need to remember that this life is not all there is. Eternity may be just a day away. How would that affect our time and how we spend it today? And it brings us back to the question, how do we use our time wisely? We do that by living by God's viewpoint, by God's definition, which is summed up like this. Use your time with eternity in mind. I'm going to say it again. Use your time with eternity in mind. Live your life knowing that there is another life that will go on without end right around the corner. And it's how we spend our time here that will affect that life forever. A humbling thought, but it is the truth. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 as he concludes his teaching on this passage. Luke chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, he says this. So do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. Listen to this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. It's a matter of priority. Whose kingdom are you living for? Whose are you seeking first in your life? Are you seeking the things of this world first or the things of his? It's a matter of priority, and it's a matter of how we spend our time. Whose viewpoint are you living by this morning? God wants us to invest our time first and foremost in the things that have eternal value. That's how we can become rich towards God. Think of it as the ultimate investment strategy. If your financial planner would would call you foolish for not taking out RRSPs or investing your money in something that's going to last for your retirement, if he would call you foolish for that, how much more foolish to not invest in the things that are going to last forever? This is the ultimate investment plan. And becoming rich towards God is by living life according to his terms, his way, living with eternity in mind. If we're going to be rich towards God, we must, in faith, embrace His viewpoint, invest our time, our talent, our knowledge, our resources, and our privileged position in the work of His kingdom. And Jesus finishes this teaching with this final word. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Oh, that's tough for us, isn't it? But they're mine. I want to have fun with them. I worked hard for them. I'm supposed to give them away? So Jesus says, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near it, no moth destroys it. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart today? Where is your heart? Where is your treasure? That's what God's asking. Who are you living for? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning with humbled hearts, knowing that you know our heart. You know, Lord, the battle that rages within. As on the one side, there's a part of us that says, but it's mine. I worked hard for it, this money, I've earned it. I want my toys, I want my pleasure, I want my retirement. We want it all. And yet there's that other side of us that knows that those things are only temporary. They're not going to last. We know that deep down, the things that are going to matter forever is living for you. The things that are going to matter is the time that we spent serving you, loving you, helping others, spending time with those that we love most. And so, Father, as we grapple with these two opposite and opposing viewpoints, I pray by your grace this morning and your Holy Spirit that you would cause us to see wisely this morning, to see clearly, maybe for the first time, that living life from your viewpoint, from your perspective, is the only way to truly live life. Father, I pray that this morning you would stir our hearts so, uh, just so powerfully, Lord, that we would leave here today and think differently every time we look at our watch, every time we look at the clock and say, how am I spending my time? How is it showing my true priorities in life? And Lord, may we prioritize you above all else. May we seek you first in your kingdom and believe in faith that you will provide everything else that we need as well. Thank you, Lord, for this privileged position you have put us in here in Canada. Lord, you have put so many resources at our disposal. I pray, Lord, that we would be wise and redeem the time that you have given us in how we use them to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.